Well, my name is Giuseppe Feola. I'm a lecturer here in Environment and Development at the University of Reading. Broadly speaking, my research addresses issues of sustainable development and how communities respond to environmental change and how social change and environmental change interact, how sustainable development is pursued by, by local communities. My name is Richard uh, Nunes. I am a lecturer in real estate and planning at the School of Real Estate and Planning. I have a background in architecture and subsequently then trained as a planner. My most recent uh, or current ongoing research is looking at transition, but more specifically human environment interactions, looking at all aspects of policy and governance uh, specifically. I wonder if one of you might just start us off with how the study came about and what you did. We're both interested in, in this type of movements like the transition movement and this uh, grassroots innovations. We came to realize that in the literature there are many studies on factors that sort of contribute to the what we can call the success of this type of grassroots initiatives or to their failure. But these studies usually address or take one or perhaps two case studies. So they go in depth into analyzing uh, the experience of one particular community, of one particular initiative, but th there's no over overview of, or sort of gener more general patterns. Basically the results of these studies, we, we, we were unsure whether they can be generalized to other communities and other initiatives. So basically that that was the spark of, of the study. So what we tried to do was a different approach. So if you want a complementary approach to this in-depth in -depth, uh, uh, research. And so what we had tried to do was to research whether there were general patterns and also across countries and different geographical contexts. So urban and rural uh, context, uh, different countries, uh, as I said. So, uh, and not because there's anything wrong in looking at uh, single case studies in depth, but just because we might learn different things and we might uh, sort of confirm or perhaps challenge some of those results if we look at in a sort of more comparative way and uh, across. Uh, context. So we carried out a survey, which was uh, an online survey, asking a lot of questions <laughs> about characteristics of the transition initiatives and different factors that the literature suggested might play a role in uh, the success of the initiatives. Also, critically, of course, on how the initiatives themselves would define the, their success. And we analyzed this in a quantitative sort of using statistics, uh, sort, of, sort of a this quantitative study, uh, mostly, and came up with some, let's say, typologies of, or, or some patterns, actually, of factors that are associated with different levels of success of local transition initiatives. You developed a typology of transition initiatives. Could you kind of explain what that is for the, to the layperson? You've got all this long list of factors, which might be external factors like the context, like uh, what type of local authority it is, or if, it, if the media are, are sort of more friendly or less friendly in a particular location, or whether there are more or less resources available, whether the group, the starting group, the founding group of the transition initiative was uh, large or small, the age of the members involved, 
uh, in the transition initiative and so on. So one might think, okay, you put all of these things together and you came up with a formula of what you need to have to be a successful initiative. This is not what we did. We tried to identify when some of these factors, uh, like the, the examples I just made, sort of came together more frequently. How frequently they were associated with high levels of success as defined by, by the transition initiatives. Uh, so, for example, we found out that rural initiatives are more often successful than urban transition initiatives, uh, that cooperation with other actors like local authorities, media, or also local businesses is favors success more often than not, and so on. And this sort of created four levels of sort of four different combination of these different factors that associated with four different levels of success of the initiative, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And uh, what were the things, Richard, that, that, that you felt constituted the key elements behind the success of, uh, of a transition initiative? Were there sort of two or three that really stood out to you as being the key things that made a big difference? I mean, you can probably work, work also back from where some initiatives identified weaknesses. I would say group governance uh, where uh, within the initiatives itself where the communication was, was good. Uh, that and membership or engagement uh, of members w- was was strong, then that would have been a successful factor. We also identified sort of building on what Giuseppe just finished pointing out in our sort of cl- concluding discussion, the role of place. So the connection uh, to places may encourage that success. We also identified sort of historically the background where members are coming from. So the extent to which they've been engaged in other initiatives before, or even the extent to which particular places have a history of campaigning and active engagement on environmental issues and so on. These were some of my uh, overall immediate impressions that I uh, brought to the discussion with Giuseppe. When you say place, do you mean mean places that have a very strong, that people feel a very strong affinity to, or places that have that strong sort of sense of being a vibrant place rather than maybe like a satellite town or a dormer community or a dormitory community? Yes, so, yeah, the extent of uh, place identity, so uh, whether that's through uh, social networks or the amount of the, the length of time that an individual um, has been in that place live, residing. So one of the sort of concluding discussion points that we had was that the difference between urban and rural transition initiatives, the fact that the rural initiatives have been more successful, uh, more successful than the urban ones, is possibly due to a lot of the mobility that happens uh, in larger cities, and hence possibly that uh, attachment to a place is less than uh, the attachment to a place in in a more rural environment, perhaps. Uh, But these are all areas that we would have to research uh, more extensively because the survey is clearly just a cross-sectional study. So longitudinal studies would be necessary to begin to really scientifically establish these these conclusions. And what's your sense, having having done this, which is probably the most, if not if not the most, one of the most sort of in depth analyses across transition of of the state of health of transition as a movement? Maybe you should clarify, Rob, uh, health before I assume what are you saying? The state of health in terms of where transition is and its ability to yeah. move forward I mean, and make movement. progress and have 
impact? As, yeah, I mean, as a as a movement that has been around for seven or eight years, did it did you get a sense that you were looking at something that was vibrant and growing, or something that was stagnant, or something that was contracting, or something that? I mean, what was your take on that? I mean, the project started with the intent of trying to understand both diffusion and scale up, and this study is focused on the diffusion aspect. So how it's spreading out and so on. And so fact, the fact that's where the factors of success and failure um, come in. In terms of the actual scale-up, we're not l addressing that. So that there may be a healthy movement in terms of the existing initiatives now scaling up. And so it may not be expanding, but because it's not expanding doesn't necessarily mean it's unhealthy or that's still not a vibrant uh, movement. Uh, it's just that taking maybe some of these initiatives are just maturing and, and going a step further in terms of scale-up. But the study's not necessarily looking at that. In terms of the actual expansion, I think that we would need further studies to, to really determine the, um, the geography, of, let's say, of um, transition. Though some initiatives clearly are formalizing, others uh, are not. When I was talking to a colleague of mine just earlier today in, in Brazil, Isabella Menezes, she was noting that oftentimes many individuals who are involved in transition are also involved in other uh, other movements or uh, other campaigns or other initiatives outside of transition. And so you might find that uh, a lot of these individuals r drive different movements, different initiatives at different points in time. And there can be a slowdown or of this vibrancy around transition, but it can pick up with uh, new engagement, new members, and so on. So I, I think it, it really is quite variable, and it would be very difficult to say uh, where the, the movement stands on an international level. Uh, in terms of its vibrancy or health. You place uh, transition in the wider context of what Jill Seifang and Noel Longhurst call grassroots innovations. What's your sense of the potential that uh, grassroots innovations have to scale up and what are the challenges that they face in doing that? Right. I think there's a lot of potential. At the moment, I'm currently investigating community food enterprise, looking at the scale-up of alternative food networks, and there are many initiatives around food within the transition movement. Clearly, f funding is one. Issues of group governance is another. So a lot of this comes up in, in, through the survey uh, in terms of success and failure. So I think a lot of the points that we've raised in the paper would be issues to be addressed in the scale-up as well. I think it from the study was quite clear that there is this potential and that there's an interesting exchange between the local level, which is of course very diverse, and sort of the international or global, if you want, level and, and the role played by transition network, for example, in the case of the tra transition movement, as a sort of a center of exchange, uh, learning, sort of an engine of collecting experiences, elaborating, exchanging, favoring, learning, basically, learning processes. And, and this learning, this, this process of learning is what I think is basically is where the, this potential for, for innovation lies because it's this fertilization of different contexts, experiences that, of course, in, in their unique context take their unique form. But then there's the global level, the, the network that, Reelaborates this, and I think it was quite clear that those experiences, those those transition initiatives that had stronger links with the network and had gone through trainings and had followed certain principles more closely, they were actually doing more stuff, more things on the ground. So, in that sense, going to to your question of the 
potential for innovation. I think for me, it's, it, I, I fully agree with, with Richard, that's a lot of potential and, and this process of learning, I think is, and fertilization, I think is really what makes me think that potential is still there and probably not fully exploited yet. And uh, one of the sentences, one of the, th- the observations that you make in the paper, you say that transition initiative members tend to focus on internal and overlook external factors of transition initiative success. What did you mean by that? Yeah, yeah we found that there's a lot of focus on number of members, on leadership, on group governance, which are, of course, important factors. And they are internal factors. They concern how the, the group and the members interact among themselves and how they organize themselves and so on. But our analysis that also took into consideration contextual factors or external factors, so the role, for example, played by other, by the local authorities, the local business, or the fact of being rural or urban and so on, they also play an important role. And they weren't mentioned by, by the transition initiatives. And we found out that actually they, they do play a role. They might constrain or enable the transition initiative. Our, our conclusion was that perhaps uh, many transition initiatives tend to focus on, on their internal governance because, of course, it's, it's the first, if you want, the first thing you want to do to reinforce the, the group and, and make it work internally. But actually thinking about the sort of medium or long-term success of, the, of that uh, initiative, uh, we shouldn't forget about the, the, the context and all the interaction with other other actors and the constraints of being in a urban or rural context, for example. One of the things that um, I suppose reading it and being very involved in in transition it was a bit frustrating was was the degree to which you focused on the twelve steps of transition, which is the model that we haven't really used since about two thousand and ten, which which seemed a little bit out of date somehow. Why why was the decision taken to to focus on that? It was a uh, well, there are two two reasons. Uh, both very practical. It, it's fully clear to to us that, of course, transition is much more than much more and totally different than following a, a sort of a, a sequence of steps. We wanted to compare the subjective definition, so how transition initiatives themselves define uh, their success, to something more objective that we could measure, just observing the transition initiative, not asking themselves directly. And the twelve steps, together with the size and the duration of the initiative sort of served this purpose. Uh, so this was one of the reasons. The second reason is that more recent elaboration of those 12 steps, like for example, the ingredients that were elaborated were much more recent. So we couldn't ask about the ingredients to initiatives that had a longer history. And so we had to ask the initiative about something that we were more familiar with. They were more familiar so with, with these 12 steps, which as you say, have a longer history and they're probably they're not uh, well they are not the, the most up-to-date thing but since we were asking about the history of the transition uh, initiative themselves so the 12 steps sort of served also that that purpose one of the findings that that, that struck me was when you said that the more well this is how i read it anyway that, that the more transition initiatives there are in a place then the better they tend to do there seems to be a sort of like a positive reinforcing thing. It reminded me of the research about how the more solar panels go up on roofs, the more people put up solar panels. There's this sort of positive 
uh, cycle. Is that is is that me misreading it, or was that was that an uh, an observation that you made? I think it's it's a fair observation in that we deduce from the sort of concentration of initiatives in a place and how they can, not a place, but sort of in a locality, a wider locality, how that might begin to explain some of the crossover of that learning and exchanging of information. I mean, we fully realize also that the, the Internet and there are other channels for disseminating information, but the element of proximity of initiatives we still hold uh, to be an, an explaining factor for some of this diffusion, and hence why we have that as one of the discussion points. Yeah. All initiatives are, in theory, networked but some are more closely have more close contact and exchange with either nodes or, or, or other initiatives and than others and this was associated with with success so that's that's where this uh, sort of conclusion came from one of the one of the, the, the surprising findings to me was that the diversity and inclusion was lowest among urban groups which I would have thought would have been the other way around because urban communities would tend to be more diverse to start with. What, what, mm -hmm. Did you have an, an explanation for why that might have been? No, we didn't. No, um, not really, no. We didn't. I mean, I think, Rob, you have to remember that this is one cross-sectional study. I think there, there's still uh, potential for exploring a lot of these other uh, aspects mm. in more depth. I mean, I mean, you think of, a, of large cities, and there are areas that are more and less uh, diverse. I think understanding exactly where the initiatives are and uh, I mean they do, many of the initiatives did claim that they reached out and that they were inclusive but being able to explain why a community fully representative of its cultural diversity is not engaging in, in this initiative we, we, we couldn't explain that. So the initiative can only remain open and, and make claims that it is open and it's inclusive but if from if, if the wider community or the, uh, the wider populace in, the, in that area is not engaging with the initiative, we couldn't explain that through the study. We wouldn't know. We'd, it would have to be re, you know, a different study altogether. Having immersed yourselves in what's already been published about transition over the last seven years or so, what's your sense of, 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 how, uh, of how good the existing kind of research base around transition is? How, how, how thorough and useful and comprehensive it is. As you said, there's a growing body of research on transition and there's a lot that can be, I mean, it, it's, it's good. I mean, in, in the, the short times will be that there's a lot of good work done on, on the transition movement in particular and the area of grassroots innovation more, more in general. As I said, we try to, to complement, in a sense, some other approach. There, there tends to be a lot, many studies of few or one, even one initiative, in-depth study. So perhaps there could be a little bit more of diversity of approaches to look at transition movement from different angles. And this is what we, we try to do and to, to, to look at from this sort of more cross-sessional and international angle. And also perhaps one thing that has been <coughs> in the literature and we also try to do is to look at cases of failure and not only at cases of success. One tends to focus and research tends to be focused on those case studies that are particularly interesting because they succeed in uh, having an impact on the community or, or bring their sort of initiative really forward. Perhaps it also helps to look at those cases where transition initiatives stop, for example, sort of to look at why they stopped and look at the other side of the coin in a sense and, and this can also help learn something I also 
sort of confirm theories that we've we've got on on why the transition movement and grassroots innovation uh, successfully spread and diffuse uh, or not. And is your intention to follow this research up with with subsequent uh, research? Yes. 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 Uh, both Giuseppe and I. I mean, we have discussed this, so we have a continuing uh, discussions about what might be our sort of transition research program. Uh, or a master plan, as we've uh, referred to it a couple of times already. I mean, the point that we uh, note here in the paper about the need for longitudinal studies, I think that's important. If we're going to talk about or think about what the lasting impact of transition is, we, we certainly do need these longitudinal studies. And they need to be both sort of cross-sectional in, in the way that this survey has been carried out, but also looking in, in some depth. Uh, you know, in terms of a case study based type research, which there is a lot of at the moment. I think it would also be important to begin to think about where transition happens even within organizations. So kind of a transition from within, not within in terms of individuals, but actual organizations and colleagues, my colleagues in, in Brazil are currently taking some of those principles, some of that transition ethos to big global organizations and they're starting to carry out a lot of the same processes that uh, transitioners are carrying out with communities but within the workplace. So I think uh, research at, at that level is uh, also quite, I would say, activity of that nature is, is all, should also be looked at in terms of lasting impact. Our theme this month, as I mentioned at the beginning, is around uh, impact, the impact of, of transition. From your perspective of having reviewed the, the research and the wider context of grassroots innovations and then the wider field around that. What's your sense of the impact that transition as a movement has had over the last six or seven years? I think the impact can be was in two main areas. So one is the sort of, well, let's call it social impact. Uh, this has to do really with building community. So the fact that there's a group, an active group of people interacting, being together, building sense of community, conviviality, living on and organizing itself on, based on democratic principles of decision making. And this is one cloud of things and aspects that are uh, really mentioned often in terms of, of impact or where really in our study were mentioned very often. The other one is the external, and, and if you want, sometimes it's technical, sometimes it's uh, economic impact, but through the project that the initiative brings forward, and which of course can be in different areas like energy, food, housing, and so on. And this is the other type of impact. I must say probably, at least from, from, from our study, the impression is that the first area, so that sort of social, the, really this building community and, and networks and social capital is a little bit predominating to the, uh, compared to the other one. Possibly because many initiatives, many transition initiatives are just starting. And as I said earlier, in the beginning, uh, that tends to be a focus more on internal aspects rather than on the external impact. So this might be uh, explained by, by this uh, sort of dynamic. But overall, there are these two areas, sort of internal social uh, impact and external impact in the community through the projects that are carried out. I would probably build on that by saying that, I mean, some of the work that we're currently looking at in terms of community food enterprise 
right? That's that enterprise element that is uh, being enabled through building up the community capacity to raise awareness about uh, particular issues, bringing a greater critical mass behind such entrepreneurial projects, facilitating that scale up in a way that make that ensures that scale up is sustainable, can be resilient in the interest of the local community, and so on. And I think that that's potentially where uh, there is some scope for exploring where this innovation, social innovation, also blends in with technological innovation, even uh, sort of you know, incorporation of new technologies in, into energy projects that are community supported. That's that's where I, I get quite excited because I came in at this project from, from that end, from uh, looking at uh, regional development and innovation policy. Uh, and having had a background in community planning and economic development, then I extended that into into this area of eco entrepreneurship and social innovation. So that's kind of how I uh, came into this project, met Giuseppe, and then we started talking about transition. So I, I get quite excited by projects uh, like Three Economy and a lot of discussions around scale up. Essentially, I think that's uh, where a lot of the future of the uh, grassroots innovation impact uh, is ultimately going to be.